Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and happy new year, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Tracy Sandler Show in 2023. I am your host, Tracy Sandler. Very excited to welcome back my good friend and the Kings reporter for the Sacramento Bee, who also has a podcast called the Candlestick Chronicles on the San Francisco 49ers. Chris Biederman, welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Always good to be here. Um, I can't wait to dive into the latest Jim Harbaugh rumors. Let's, let's, Let's do it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because despite what happened on Saturday, and as you guys can probably imagine, your girl here was in a word devastated by the loss of the Michigan Wolverines. And I'm going to be really honest with you guys and you, Chris, I think I've already told you this, but like, I was upset to a point where I'm a little bit embarrassed by how sad I was. I think it was compounded by the fact that had they won, I was actually going to the national championship at SoFi. So that probably made it even worse, but I was in a word devastated. And I, here we go again with the rumors about Jim Harbaugh. And despite what happened, I'd like my coach to stay put. I want him to have another year with my guy, JJ. And I hold out hope that maybe Blake Corum comes back. And I, I just don't want Jim to leave. I think Jim kind of wants to leave. Don't you think Jim no. kind of wants to leave? No, why would he want to leave? He's like a god in Ann Arbor. Yeah, like, but if, if you and I know anything about Jim Harbaugh, it's that when it comes to rumors and leaked information and all of this stuff, he is generally behind a lot of it, even if indirectly. Like, we know Jim Harbaugh is very carefully crafting a narrative, which he did last offseason, too. And so if I were a Michigan fan and quite obviously as a Ohio state alum, I am not, but uh, I would, I would find it a little bit problematic that seemingly after every season, Jim Harbaugh is allowing there to be stories about him wanting to jump to the NFL, but that's just me. And maybe I'm just an Ohio state fan trying to stir the pot on your podcast. Basketball is back and bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. I would like to go back to something that you just said. If you were a Michigan fan and as an Ohio State fan, you are not. I have the receipts on Saturday morning. <laughs> and on Saturday between 1 and 5 p.m., you were quite the Michigan fan. And I have the text to prove it. Yeah, well, I really wanted an Ohio State-Michigan National Championship game so we could get revenge. Because to me, that would be the best ending to a season for possible for Ohio State, would be to beat Michigan in the national title game. Which is why I, I root for Michigan to be good because I want that game to mean something like when Ohio state does inevitably beat Michigan again, it's going to be, I mean, ideally it would be Michigan's a really good team. And then it sort of catapults Ohio state back into the playoff. Like for me, I root for, 
this might be weird, but I root for Michigan all the time, except for when they play Ohio state, because when Ohio state beats Michigan, it just amplifies their resume that much more. Uh, I would like to point out that I have a text me that refers to our man, Jim, so I'm <laughs> there that you can say all that you want about Michigan, but there was a part of you that loved my boys in blue, by the way, boys in blue, heartbreaking for me, like Dodgers lose. I lose Cody Bellinger, Michigan loses, but I will tell you that if Ohio state had beat Georgia and gone to national championship and won, I think it would have done me. And I may have had to give up sports forever. I may have had to give up the colors red and blue forever. And I don't think I could have handled it. So thank you, Georgia for pulling that out. I think you would have been fine. I think, I don't, I think you would have pulled it together. I'm not sure. I would have resilient Tracy. I am resilient, but there's only so much one girl could take. And I have mentioned that I lost Cody Bellinger this fall. Uh, also real big Cubs fan now, second favorite team Cubs forever. Go Cubbies. Uh, but I, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know okay. that I could do that, but that reminds me, I got to order myself a Cody Bellinger Cubs t-shirt just for when they're not playing the Dodgers. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> this is what <laughs> just, had me on the pod, right? It is 100% why, because I thought you and I could go online together and find the best Cody Bellinger t-shirt out there. It would be amazing. But since you're probably not going to want to do that, and we both have other things to do today, I will take our discussion and move it from my great, lovely Michigan Wolverines, who I still love so much with all of my heart, and my guy Jim Harbaugh, who I still love so much with all of my heart, who I hope stays. Um all these are all things that I'm hoping for. And we can move on and talk about the San Francisco 49ers who have now won nine games in a row. It took it over time against the Raiders to do it, but they did it on Sunday. The Philadelphia Eagles lost the Minnesota Vikings lost the latter being a little more important at the moment. Cause it puts the 49ers in the number two seed. And as long as they win on Sunday, they can keep it. If both them and the Vikings lose on Sunday, they can still keep it. But either way, they right now have the number two seed. The number one seed is now in play. The Eagles will be playing a Giants team that really has nothing to play for because they are locked in at their playoff position. But we shall see. Just things are very interesting for a team that was just was three and four just a couple months back and now is a little bit of the toast of the NFC. We have miles to go. But Chris Biederman, let's talk about Sunday's game going into this weekend's game. Obviously not the best performance from the defense. Uh, they obviously did what they needed to do at the end, but probably wasn't a bad game for the young Brock Purdy to have a little bit of adversity that he had to work through. Probably not even bad for the defense to get a little bit of a humbling reality check. But what did you see on Sunday and what do you think it means going forward? Yeah, it, it was pretty jarring to see the defense give up 500 yards because I think you go back to that Chiefs game that the Niners lost in October and you say, all right, that's probably like their blip on the radar game, right? Like you remember in 2019 when they went to the Super Bowl, had arguably the best defense in the NFL that season. They had the one blip, which was, I mean, not really a blip. It's kind of understandable to go to New Orleans, peak Drew Brees and have him you know, score 45 points or I forget exactly how many in that game, but um, you know that we've seen the 49ers still have an elite defense and have like a blip on the radar game. The Raiders game, the Raiders game now feels, it feels like the second one. And it's, you know, I, I think there, there are human nature elements at play. Jared Stidham's, you know, never started an NFL game. I'm sure there was some level of underestimate underestimating him. 
Um, Nick Bosa admitted that that did happen. Yeah, so. and I, I just think you know with the with the division already wrapped up, the season coming down to a close, like there probably wasn't the most intensity brought by the 49ers defense just in terms of the coming into that game throughout the week. Um, so from that standpoint, I'm not totally worried because I would trust this team to, uh, you know, it's a veteran group. A lot of them were on last year's team. A lot of them were on 2019's team. They understand what it takes to win in the playoffs. So there isn't a whole lot of concern there, but I think where, where there could be concern, just some of the trends that are sort of continuing, like Talano Hufanga, obviously having a really nice season, but, but he does, he does cross the line of being over aggressive. Um, and it can, it can hurt the defense in a, in a pretty substantial way when he leaves Devonte Adams to go try to prevent Jared Sidham from running. And then Adams eventually scores a 60 yard touchdown, right? When he bites on play action and then gets beat by Darren Waller for a touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are just, you know, Talano Ufanga, one of his best traits is just his anticipation. And when he's guessing, right. Uh, it works out. It can turn into a big play when he guesses wrong. It can turn into a big play the other way. Um, and I think the 49ers would love to, to dial back that aggression a little bit and ensure that he's more assignment sound. So that's something you're a little bit concerned about. Um, as good of a job as D'Amico Ryans has done here as the 49ers defensive coordinator, the Tayshawn Gibson thing still doesn't make any sense to me. Like the fact that Jimmy Ward is not the team starting safety as he was last year, um, as he was going into the season as a team captain, the fact he got sort of demoted to nickel corner. And I know nickel's still a very important position, but the fact that Jimmy Ward isn't playing both free safety and nickel, maybe with Gibson coming in, um, in sub packages or, or maybe the 49ers just not having a better option than Jimmy Ward at nickel to me at some point in the playoffs, if the 49ers lose a game, it wouldn't surprise me if it's because Tayshawn Gibson just doesn't just gets beat by a speed receiver or they give up a big play at an inopportune time um, by way of, you know, the 49ers getting beat over the top and Gibson's had a fine season. But when you talk about what's required in this cover three um, single high safety look that the 49ers employ so much, it's pure speed on the back end, right? And mm-hmm. Tayshawn Gibson is not a very fast guy for free safety. I think he's, you know, he looks like a linebacker back there, frankly, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because he's a good tackler um, and he's a veteran and he knows where to be most of the time. But a lot of the, like, I, I'm just worried about the 49ers on the back end of their defense, um, just sort of overall with the safety position. I think Charvarius Ward's much better. Um, Talano Funga can be when he's in the right spot, a really good player, but he's prone to make some mistakes. Tayshawn Gibson. I just don't get why you're not playing Jimmy Ward at free safety. Um, but again, this is the best defense in the NFL. The pass rush was okay. It was good when, when the 49ers needed it to be, but uh, I'm not super concerned, but I'm just, you know, leery of some trends maybe sticking out here that have been pretty apparent over the last month or so. Well, and then there's one that you didn't mention that's been a little bit more apparent over the last few weeks, and that is Diamador Lenore, who we saw step in pretty nicely for a while for Emmanuel Mosley, probably better maybe than many people thought he would. And, and some of that has been attributed from moving him from nickel to the outside and having him just play one position. But I think we've seen a trend the last few weeks. I think you could even say, starting with the Seattle game, 
And I had written a story on him that came out the day of the Seattle game. So I'm really hoping this isn't my fault, but starting with the day of the Seattle game, he has not played great the last few weeks. And I think the last two weeks especially have been difficult. And again, you have Devonte Adams out there and there is that one catch that, you know, how did he catch that? And if you look at it from a number of different angles, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but he's Devonte Adams and it was called a catch. And so it's a catch, but I think that's another thing that's worth taking a look at. Charvarius Ward has been fantastic throughout the season, probably also didn't have his best game on Sunday, but you're less concerned about that. You're less concerned about Traverius Ward not having a bounce back. I think Diamador Lenore is somebody to look at as well. I don't know that they have a better option. I don't think Ambry Thomas has proven to be a better option. I don't know if bringing Janoris Jenkins up off the practice squad becomes a better option, but I do think it's something that the four Niners have to take a look at. I thought it was odd that <clears throat> Traverius Ward was not shadowing Devonte Adams throughout the game because it happened in Seattle yeah. where Ward was shadowing DK Metcalf all over the field. And against Washington, he did it against Terry McLaurin. Like of all those three number one receivers the 49ers have played the last three weeks, I would think Devonte Adams is the guy you're going to be most inclined to shadow with your top so. cornerback. And the 49ers didn't do that. And I'm a little curious as to why, and maybe that sort of speaks to like, you know, they already won the division. It wasn't, um, super imperative for them to, I mean, obviously they needed, they needed to win the game, particularly with all the seating conversation we're having, but like, I don't know. It was just weird. Like why not have Mooney Ward travel with, with Devonte Adams? Like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm very curious to know what the rationale is and I'm sure D'Amico Ryans will be asked that this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like, look, these are kind of first world problems too. Like the 49ers defense is really, really good, perhaps historically good. So for them to have kind of a letdown performance against a first time starting quarterback, it can be a little eyebrow raising for sure. But I think ultimately in the long run, like a lot of these, a lot of these weird losses the 49ers have had while they've been re- or not even losses, this was a win. Um, but a lot of these, you know, performances that the defense might've left fans wanting more they end up looking like blips on the radar. And so I I'm kind of inclined to think that's what's like when the season's over, we're going to look back on this game and be like, Oh yeah. I remember that Raiders game. Yeah. They just didn't, they didn't really have it that day for whatever reason. Absolutely. And I, and I agree with that on the defense, the whole, I think the couple trends we've mentioned are worth looking at, but I would also assume that we're not the only ones that noticed them. I'm going to assume D'Amico Ryan's and the coaching staff noticed them too. Yeah. And maybe other, other offensive coordinators in the NFC. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know, you know, who knows, uh, or it's just you and I, and you guys, everybody listen to this. You're welcome basically. (laughs) But I think those are, it's more that those little trends are things to keep a look at, but we'll kind of, you know, see how that plays out. I agree with you. I think it is more of a blip. And as I said earlier, Nick Bosa (laughs) did admit that they did underestimate Jared Stidham a little bit. And as much as they needed to win the game for seating it's not the same kind of situation as we, you know, it's not like week 18 last year where it's, they're going to, they win or go home. It's a little bit of a different situation. I underestimated Jared Stidham. I talked, I, I talked all week on, on our podcast that, you know, basically the new England Patriots for the last two years have moved heaven and earth to make sure Jared Stidham is not their starting quarterback, which included yeah. trading him um, with a late round pick to get another late round pick back to the Raiders. Like that was, 
you know, like the, <laughs> the Patriots had Jared Stidham atop their depth chart going into 2021 and then felt so good about him. They made Cam Newton their starter and then awesome. signed Brian Hoyer to be their backup. That's how awesome about Jared Stidham yeah. they felt. And then they obviously draft Mac Jones, trade Jared Stidham, it was, you know, and keep Brian Hoyer. It was not a, uh, there weren't a whole lot of endorsements from new England being like, Oh yeah, they really believe Stidham's a guy. So I was just kind of expecting the Raiders to, to just really not look that great on, on Sunday, but they did, they came out and play hard. So that's a credit to them. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't blame the 49ers for ter- taking Jared Sidham lightly because I absolutely took him lightly on my own. <laughs> but my only, I guess my only caveat, but I think this is why these, it's good for these things happen to happen once you've won the division and you're in the playoffs and all of that. And at worst, you're going to be the number three seed. I think, no, you don't want to, you can't blame them, but by the same token, you know, you don't want to have that attitude at all. And this is going to segue me into our next conversation. I hope you're ready for this amazing transition. Mm-hmm. The other reason I would not underestimate Jared Sidham is because the 49ers have a man at quarterback who is a third string quarterback, who was the final pick in the draft, who has been playing at a very high level. So they should know better than anybody that you can't underestimate. Thank you very much. The transition was so good. We may just, maybe we should just end the show right now. I mean, maybe that would, that would end the episode on a major cliffhanger. <laughs> would be, but I don't, would it be a cliffhanger? Would people be like, well, she's right. He has been playing really well. <laughs> that no, they would move like on. tune in, tune into the next episode for all the Brock Purdy discussion. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. But <laughs> you know what? Since you're here and I'm here, let's talk about him now. Yeah. Uh, so Brock Purdy, as I mentioned at the top of the show, his first game with a little bit of adversity still seems pretty unflappable. Uh, interesting. After the game, he made a comment that even when he is flappable, but for, I guess, like a better term, he doesn't want to show that because it doesn't help the rest of his offense and his job as the quarterback is to stay calm, cool, and collected, which I think is true. Um, but again, kind of shows the poise and confidence that he has maybe beyond his years and time and, and what people thought coming in. Uh, but, and he made a comment about Brian Greasy, the world's greatest quarterback coach of all time. Go blue. How, what was that? No, was that nothing, a yawn? nothing. We're good. Keep going. I just think it was worth mentioning <laughs> world's greatest quarterback coach of all time. Uh, kind of a redundant statement, but I'll just keep saying it. Uh, but Brian Greasy even said to him, I think after the interception, like you just, you got to shake it off and, and go back out there. But let's talk Brock Purdy because when they go to the playoffs in a couple weeks, obviously things change. It is different no matter what, no matter how many times a player or a coach says it's just another game. That's how we have to look at it. It's not, it's different. It is a playoffs and that's a place he hasn't had a lot of experience. Luckily, as you mentioned, much of this team has had quite a bit of playoff experience and that will help them. But kind of what have you seen from Brock Purdy here that gives you confidence that for him, that week one wild card round will be just the same as any other game. So I tend to think Kyle Shanahan trusts Brock Purdy more than any other quarterback he's had with the 49ers. And I, and I think that's evident by the way he calls plays particularly Mm -hmm. in, um, in late game or end of half situations. Uh, the play where Brock Purdy got hit and Brandon Ayuk made, uh, made a, you know, pretty miraculous catch late in the Mm -hmm. fourth quarter that was designed to be a potential touchdown pass to George Kittle on a play action, short yardage play where the 49ers could have just tied the game with a field goal. Um, Kyle Shanahan in my estimation would not have 
called that play with Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance as, as his quarterback. Right. I agree. And we've seen it over and over again, whether it be the Tampa Bay game with him taking deep shots um, at the end of the second quarter to score a touchdown there. Uh, I just think Brock Purdy for some reason has a trust of Kyle Shanahan. And I think a lot of it too stems from like Purdy is very capable of, of just throwing the ball away and mm-hmm. avoid avoiding the, the backbreaking mistakes that we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo prone to make um, case in point. Like there was a play in the end zone at the end of the second quarter against the Raiders where Purdy saw he had nothing. He sprinted to his left to get just outside the tackle box and throw the ball away. Like what happened when Jimmy Garoppolo was in a similar scenario in Denver back in week three, right? He stepped on the end line for a safety. He was still trying to make a throw and it would have been a pick six had it not been a safety, right? Like Mm -hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo can run the offense efficiently, has more arm talent than Brock Purdy for sure. Obviously bigger physically, Um, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo's major Achilles heel is his unwillingness to throw the ball away. And the numbers say it like Jimmy Garoppolo just never throws the ball away. And a lot of his worst plays come when he's trying to trying to do too much and instead should just dirt the ball or throw into the second row. So Brock Purdy, I think does a really good job of taking what's available and then living to see another day when nothing is available. And I think that's a big reason why Kyle Shanahan trusts him because he can dial up a shot play. And if it's not there, then, you know, Brock Purdy will check it down to Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle or whatnot. And they'll live to see another day and it won't be a backbreaking mistake. And so um, I think, I think we just see that overall with Kyle Shanahan's aggressive aggression when it comes to just dialing up plays for Brock Purdy Um, in terms of how Purdy played on Sunday, it wasn't as good as his other games. Like it wasn't as good as he played in Seattle Um, it wasn't as good as how I played against Tampa. Obviously I I think, you know, he wasn't quite as sharp and maybe it was, you know, the road environment, maybe, um, you know, who, who knows whatever the reasons are. I just thought he was a hair late on some of his throws. He wasn't as accurate as he had been on other throws. Um, but you know, to, to the point you've made, and, and I know everyone else covering the team has made, like this was the first time that Brock Purdy has been trailing in the second half of any of his starts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he orchestrated basically four scoring drives in the fourth quarter. And it would have been, you know, four for four in terms of getting points on those possessions had Robbie gold, not pushed the field goal right at the end of regulation. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that, you know, the 49ers can say now, Hey, we've, we've dealt with a little bit of adversity going into the playoffs. We know that, you know, Brock Purdy won't be, won't be a fish out of water if, you know, they're down in, in the postseason in the fourth quarter. Like, I think they can, they can sort of, um, use that as, as just a source of confidence and understanding that we can get to where we need to go, even if we're behind, because you remember, like that was only the second win the 49ers have had when trailing by double digits in the second half, since Kyle Shanahan has been coach. So they're two and 33 in those scenarios. And that was the first time Brock Purdy has been faced with that scenario and he was able to help the team win. So um, I think there is value in that. Um, I don't know that it'll necessarily be the difference between them winning and losing in the playoffs, but uh, there's, there's certainly value in it because now they've learned a little bit more about Brock Purdy, because I do think it would have been a little bit precarious had they gone in the playoffs, just Mm -hmm. rolled through everybody like they have been without ever trailing 
and then, you know, be losing to whoever by, uh, by 10 points in the fourth quarter of a playoff game and then have Brock Purdy in a situation where he hasn't experienced that yet. So I think all experience is important. Obviously Brock Purdy's experience, like his vast college experience, I think is a major reason why he's been as successful as he is. And and this is just more experience to add to that. And I think a, a, will be a source of confidence should the 49ers be in a similar position in the postseason. And he's also had, um, he'll have had two tough road games that I think will serve him well, no matter what end of the seed they end up getting, yeah. you know, so no matter what he's been able to win at home, he's been able to win on the road and obviously Seattle is a very difficult environment. And that was on a short week when he was hurt and Sunday was, we'll call it the adversity game. So there was, I don't, I think the Raiders pumped noise in there because there was way more red than black and it got real loud at points. So I was like, there's no chance the 12 Raiders fans in attendance are making quite that much noise. Wow, Shots, but, shots fired. At, at well, I'm just, you know, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm an honest, I'm an honest fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, he's, he's proven that. I think what we probably saw on Sunday too, and I would even say, I kind of felt this in the Seattle game. I, the 49ers will probably not lose a playoff game because of Brock Purdy. So we'll see. So do you trust Brock Purdy more than their defense? No, I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I trust anyone in the world more than the 49ers defense. Like I just, I just, not, I trust you a lot. And I'm not sure I trust you more than the 49ers defense. I think that's so, reasonable. So I just don't think, but I, I just think that, they lose the playoff game. Who knows if, if they do, we'll see what happens and why it happens. But I don't feel that they're in a situation where it's like, well, if we could just keep Brock together, we're going to make it. Like, I think everybody, they lose, they will lose as a team. And if they win, they will win as a team. That's my feeling on that. But they also proved on Sunday that they can, as we go back to the 2019 New Orleans game. And I know this has brought up, been brought up a lot over the last, you know, 27 hours or so, but you know, they, they showed they could win in a shootout. And I think that was something kind of sums up everything we've said, but that was something that was important for them to see. Yeah. I'm to the point now, like, I mean, we will have plenty of time to talk about the Cardinals and stuff. I'm just curious, like in Kyle Shanahan's mind, because you know, he's thought about it and Mm -hmm. there's no way he hasn't, despite what he says in press conferences, um, that he hasn't thought about next year and what it's going to look like. And I'm just curious if like, if we're to the point now where in Kyle Shanahan's mind, Brock Purdy is like absolutely starting next year, or if Shanahan still feels like he needs to see more and it's going to be a competition with Trey Lance for the starting job, because we know Kyle Shanahan is just kind of adverse to having a quarterback competition in training uh-huh. camp. We've seen that the last two years when Trey Lance was, was here, it was either it's not a competition. Trey Lance is a backup or Jimmy Garoppolo is not even practicing. Trey Lance is a starter. Um, so I, you know, I, I wonder what the, what Kyle Shanahan's internal threshold is to be like, all right, I've seen enough from Brock to feel comfortable calling him the starter for going into the off season. Or if he still has enough belief in, in Trey Lance to be like, no, we're going to make this a competition because I'm kind of the mind, like the way Purdy's playing, like it wouldn't, I, I don't think it would. I don't know if bother is the word, but I, I think it would it would make plenty of sense to just go into it next season and be like, it's Brock's job. I don't disagree with you at all. And we'll see how these next few weeks go. But you know, if I've talked before on other things and on this podcast, if they win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, I don't know how you don't do that. But I no, would even go not. but I would even say 
if they get to the NFC championship game with Brock Purdy, how do you not say that? You know, if they end up, let's assume they don't end up with the one seed. Okay. Let's just for argument's sake, let's pretend they say it too. And they do end up playing Philadelphia in Philadelphia for the NFC championship game. And for whatever reason they lose, I think even at that point, unless Brock Purdy just plays terribly, which I just don't see happening. I don't know how you don't do that. And I'll even go back, you know, to 2019 when you saw Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs, who really wasn't much of a factor in, in those wins because the running game was so strong. The defense was so good and all of those things, you know, and the issues with Jimmy Garoppolo, everybody knew what they were. I think with Brock Purdy, like you said, he does seem to trust him. They should be confident going in with him. It's so funny because I mean, not funny, haha necessarily, but the week before Jimmy got hurt, remember Jimmy went out at one point and it looked like he did get hurt and he didn't. And they were, the foreigners were so relieved and he was fine. And in a post-game press conference, the locker room, George Kittle said, no offense to Brock Purdy, but I want to see Jimmy Garoppolo in the field as my quarterback. And I think it would be interesting. I don't think that could be asked, you know, quite like that, but I think at this point, all of the 49ers are very, very comfortable with Brock Purdy at quarterback. And it, I just have a hard time believing that he's going to, completely be a disaster in the postseason and that it's going to be so different. And I feel like it's possible Kyle Shanahan has finally found his franchise quarterback. So one scenario that I've sort of kicked around and and I, I dove into a little bit once Brock Purdy took over as a starter. Do you remember the 2017 Vikings and Case Keenum who basically started that season as the third string quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater got hurt and Sam Bradford came in and got hurt. And then Case Keenum came in and they had the Minnesota miracle in the win over the saints. And it sort of felt like serendipitous in a similar way. And I almost think like there are similarities between the way Keenum plays and the way Brock Purdy plays a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they beat the saints. It's this miracle game. And then they go to Philadelphia, oddly enough, which is where the 49ers might have to go uh, mm-hmm. and lose 38 to seven and get blown out. And Case Keenum has not been, you know, a franchise quarterback since then, obviously. So, like, and Nick Foles won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yes, I, I think know? of the Nick Foles a lot. So, like, the, there are scenarios that have happened, played out, where, like, a backup quarterback goes on a run, and even going on that run doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, they're going to be the team's starter for the next decade. So, I, I, that that is, like the harsh reality of the NFL is, you know, the, the thing that differentiates the elite quarterbacks from, from the guys from everybody else is, is that consistency. It's like the fact that you can be like any NFL quarterback can, can get hot for any stretch of time. Right. It's the guys who maintain a high level of play for years and years are the ones we consider elite. And so that would be, that's sort of the interesting thing going forward. Like is Brock Purdy, is this kind of like a flash in the pan thing? And I know like he keeps, you know, proving a little bit more and more each week, but also like there's a real possibility that just because he's doing well this year, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be, you know, playing at this level for the next decade or so. Like it, it could very well be that he's the next case Keenum and that he comes back to earth next year. And, and this doesn't, you know, this isn't like, uh, the, the next coming of Tom Brady or however you want to put it. Like, I, I just, it's just fascinating. I think that's what makes the NFL so much more unique than other sports is that this like guys rise and fall like crazy. And it's impossible to really predict who's going to be 
elite and who isn't. It's just like whoever whoever just keeps doing it year after year is are, those are those are the guys that that we really believe in, and everyone else we just kind of have to wait and see. Well, I think with Brock Purdy, especially because he is a rookie, so we don't have anything else to. It's not like we could be like, well, two years ago he showed promise, and then he fell off, right. and now he's playing great. Like we just don't know. Um, and I'll use my favorite phrase that time will tell, <laughs> but it will be interesting to see how he put, I think we'll learn a lot. <laughs> like, I think we'll learn a lot about him in the playoffs. You're right on case Keaton. You're hundred percent right on Nick Foles, but I think we'll learn a lot more. And then they do, they do, they could potentially have a very interesting situation on their hands, uh, and, and make the decision. And it's, and is it a competition or, you know, do they, they move on entirely. Do they trade, trade and get the picks can picks back? I don't think that's what's going to happen, but there's going to be all kinds of swirling scenarios that can go on. And I think the, we'll see right now. You're right. He's I'm sure Kyle Shanahan has thought about it no matter what he says in press conferences. But at this point, the most important thing he's got to do is deal with the Cardinals and beyond. And then we'll go from there, but he has to have thought about it. And I would say, the thing that stands out to me the most is really what you said earlier. He seems to trust Brock Purdy more than yeah. any of his other quarterbacks. And I do think in fairness to Trey Lance, and we got a very small sample size to start the season, the feeling, it felt like the feeling was it was going to be an up and down season. And the goal was for Trey Lance to be better in week 18 than he was in week one. And they knew there was going to be a lot of learning curve and all of that. Uh, Cause he had not played a lot. And unlike Brock Purdy, he had not played a lot in college football. He had not played in that many games. Uh, but now with Trey Lance, the thing that I think becomes an issue is now it's another year. And one of their big issues with Jimmy Garoppolo is health. And Trey Lance has not proven to be able to stay completely healthy either, though that is one of my least favorite narratives in the NFL because it's football in the NFL. And, you know, I, I do think there are a lot of things that go in there. But it will be interesting to see. But for now, before I let you go, on the Cardinals, what would be your, you know, Kyle Shannon made a comment last week. The conversation is comical because you can't look at 53 guys and be like, you guys are less important. So you're going to play and I'm going to save the really important guys for the playoffs. But you know how, when you look at this game, how important is it that the four ers win it versus how important it is to try to keep them as healthy as possible? I think they can do both without trying to overdo it and be too cute. Like I think you can play Debo Samuel. Just don't, line him up in the backfield and give him eight carries between the tackles. Right. Like I think you can have him play a normal game that he would play as a wide receiver. Maybe you give him a couple jet sweeps or maybe you do some of the creative things you like to do with them. But I, I would just refrain completely from, you know, utilizing him between the tackles as, as a running back, which they've been prone to do. Um, and I, that was, you know, one of the ways he got hurt, obviously. So, um, I, I think you just kind of got to play a normal football game. I don't think there's anything you could really do aside from just not having guys play. And look, the 49ers, we don't, we have no idea who the Cardinals starting quarterback is going to be right. right. It might be Blau, you know, it'd be their third string guy. It might be somebody else who, who would basically be their fourth string guy. Like the 49ers should roll whether or not they have Debo Samuel or not. Um, if they have Debo Samuel or not, but, uh, I, I just, you know, like, do you, do you want to play Elijah Mitchell and have him knock some rust off while also risk, you know, him having another knee issue who, and he's had perpetual knee injuries the last couple of years. Like that's a little problematic. I, it would make sense to me to not, I, I certainly wouldn't give Christian McCaffrey 20 touches. Um, and so, 
you know, I, I think there are ways the 49ers can win, still play with the requisite intensity to avoid having a letdown and also keeping things light on guys like Debo and, and Elijah Mitchell. And, and if they didn't play him, they're certainly justified. And I think it would maybe allow guys like um, Ray Ray McLeod or Juwan Jennings to, to maybe get a little bit of a rhythm and maybe you get, have guys like more towards the back end of your offense, feeling good going into the postseason because you know, you might need them at some point there too. So I wouldn't blame them for playing Debo Samuel. I would just be leery of, you know, utilizing him the way they have when he's, when he's gotten hurt, I would just play him like a regular receiver. And I think that's sort of my feeling on Debo in general. It's just like, I think he's most effective when he is a regular receiver who does some of the other stuff. When you ask him to take like 10 carries a game, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's a little reductive, but that's, that's a different and longer conversation for another day. And with that in mind, I will give quick injury updates that we got from Kyle Shanahan on Monday. And that is offensive lineman. Aaron Banks has an ankle sprain and knee sprain. He'll be out this week. Christian McCaffrey has a minor ankle sprain in his day to day. So I wouldn't be surprised if the four netters are actually able to use that, not as an excuse not to play him, but to decide we don't necessarily need to play him on Sunday either. And maybe we do give Elijah Mitchell a chance to t- take off the rest. Maybe it's a Jordan Mason game, a little Ty Davis price. We'll see how, how the week progresses. Dre Greenlaw's back injury. They don't know the severity of it yet. It doesn't look as bad as they originally thought, but they don't know the severity of it yet. So we'll have an update for that. We're recording this Monday afternoon. We'll probably have more of an update on Tuesday. And if memory serves, I think those were all the updates that we got from Kyle Shanahan. So with that, Oh, wait, Yep. Those were it. That was everything. So Chris Peterman, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, Kyle Madsen and I where we host candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the blue wire podcast network. You can find that wherever you get your pods. Um, you could find my work at the Sacramento B it's uh, Sacramento Kings. It's a lot of other stuff too. It's, there might be some 49ers stuff upcoming. We'll see. But, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Biederman. I don't tweet a ton, but uh, when I tweet, it matters. So, you know. <laughs> you know what? That's very true. <laughs> that's, very, that's very true. We are brought to you by Bet Online. You can follow us at Fangirl Sports Network on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Tracy Sandler, on Twitter at 49ers Fangirl. And with that, I'll talk to everybody this week. Bye, all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.